Welcome back to Duel of the Takes. Today we are uh, we are doing a uh, I don't know this this topic's uh, kind of strange. We're doing another uh, tier list about uh, things uh, from TV and movies. Uh, we've done what lawyers. We've done uh, presidents. We've done a lot of occupations, but now we're doing uh, vehicles, uh, cars from TV and movies. Specifically today, we are doing non-sentient cars, so, you know, Lightning McQueen, the taxi from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, we'll get there another time. Today we are focusing on the automobiles that characters drive in major motion pictures and television series. Alden, as a uh, resident car expert, uh, how, how do you feel about this? Well, we have some pretty interesting picks, that's for sure. And uh, Josh, are you, are you stoked to talk about some of your favorite cars in TV and movie history? We're not ranking the Cars films. <laughs> you know the deal. First, we got to come up with the tiers. I, I don't really know how many tiers we're going to need here, um, but we definitely need the equivalent of the lay off the weed tier, and I'm thinking it's C tier, lay off the motor oil. Yeah, that, that's good. The A tier could be uh, Elon Please Remake. Ooh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, S tier, what is this, like Dream Car? Uh, yeah. Yeah, a car I would own. Yeah. B, uh, gets me to where I need to go. Like, <laughs> old reliable. Yeah. Yeah, that works. D tier then, at least it runs. <laughs> <laughs> cool, well, uh, I think I'm actually starting off first this time. Uh, let me pull up my notes. Um, I know we just started off by introducing that we're doing non-sentient cars, but my first car is the 1958 Plymouth Fury from the movie Christine. Uh, this car is actually the titular character of the film. While we technically said no sentient cars on this list, I feel like we should have said no talking cars. Christine certainly has a mind of her own as she transforms her owner, Artie, from a geek with no friends to the biggest, baddest guy in town. Not all 1958 Plymouth Furies have the appetite for destruction, but they all heavily increase your chances of getting laid. Just ask Stephen King, who has no memory of writing the book that the movie Christine is based on because he was on a three-year-long cocaine bender. He also isn't known for being the safest of drivers, so maybe it's best he doesn't remember the coolest vehicle he brought to life. What are your guys' thoughts on Christine? I know, I don't think you guys have seen the movie. We talked about it about this time last year doing our John Carpenter movies ranked. Yes, I still haven't seen it. It feels like it could exist in the same world as like American Graffiti or Grease, but it's a horror movie, which is kind of interesting. Right, okay. I don't know. For me, it's not like a dream car or anything. It is a three-year cocaine addiction, so a part of me does want to put in the lay off the motor oil. <laughs> it's also haunted. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but I feel like Elon Musk is already in the works of remaking this car. <laughs> okay, if she's haunted, ghost, she can drive herself, a... <laughs> right? Yeah, the car drives itself. In the Perfect. Movie. Elon, please remake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want Elon to remake it, but he's going to anyway, so... I mean, in essence, I guess so. I think layoff the motor oil works for a haunted car. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Josh, I think you're up next. That is the uh, 2008 Audi R8 from Iron Man. This, uh, this was seen in the film Iron Man as uh, Tony Stark's car, and honestly, it's kind of just a giant commercial for Audi. And uh, when I was looking this up, I saw ads with Iron Man next to the whatever the Audi car, latest Audi car model was that year, and uh, yeah, it's kind of just an Audi. 
Yeah, so most MCU movies from Iron Man to Infinity War have been pretty much, like, sponsored heavily. Very big product placement for Audi. My favorite sequence is, uh, I think it's an Escalade uh, in Winter Soldier when uh, Samuel L. Jackson gets ambushed by Hydra and he's able to fight them off inside of this, like, I, it's, I know it's a black SUV. I think it's an Escalade. It's a Chevy. Ew. It's the same car, just Chevy. I feel like it's almost a broke person car for Tony Stark. Like, the dude's a multi-billionaire or whatever. He doesn't need to drive a, a luxury, like, somewhat affordable car. Sometime around filming, they filmed, like, kind of nearby the original Tesla factory. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in a previous episode, but one of the cars in Tony Stark's garage in this movie is an original Tesla Roadster. I know that they loosely based uh, Tony Stark off of Elon Musk. Yeah, he's got a he's got a whole garage of nicer cars, but he's just rolling up in the Audi the whole time. Pretty much, he's got a lot of classic cars in there. I guess it would be old reliable then. It is old reliable. I think Top Gear had an episode of the of a bunch of supercars running around with only one gallon of fuel in the tank. And the R8 went the farthest on one gallon of fuel. Yeah, in fact, you can actually look at this whole episode as um, American Top Gear. We, we are the new <laughs> Top Gear for the Gen Z American audience. Uh, we are all car experts and car enthusiasts. And uh, yeah, the Audi <laughs> R8 is all reliable. It's not the coolest car on the road, but it, it does have good, uh, good gas mileage, which is really important for a uh, billionaire to drive to and from parties and... California, I'm guessing that's where he's based? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think he lives in Malibu. Uh, Alden, what's your first, uh, your first car here? Is it the DeLorean? Uh, yes. Tell us about the, the ever-beloved DeLorean. Uh, well, so before the car was even, like, in production, John DeLorean got arrested and was charged with conspiracy to obtain and distribute 55 pounds of cocaine. That's pretty epic. So it's it's definitely on the same tier as lay off the motor oil for now. That's pretty 80s. Oh, it gets bad. Like, long story short, he was set up by the FBI and the case got thrown out, but he had already pretty much lost his company and it got pawned off to someone else. Just bad luck. Things dominoed from, like, him getting arrested into this company releasing a terrible car and then going bankrupt, but... Yeah, I think it's really interesting that Amblin Productions wanted a DeLorean for their, like, time machine. Like, I get that it's a futuristic-looking car. It's one of the first ones on the market with, like, the butterfly doors uh, design. It was someone's favorite car or something. Like, it was... The idea of the DeLorean was really good because it, like, brought car. It brought supercar features and stuff down to a slightly affordable price, or what should have been, rather. I think Zemeckis... Or maybe it was one of the writers wrote the car being a, like a Ford Mustang. I think he wanted to capitalize off of a car we're going to talk about a little bit later in terms of its iconography and thought it would be... It was the best-selling car in America, at least in terms of uh, of people within like that, that price range and that, that budget. It was, it was the car to own. So I think the original idea for Back to the Future was, oh, let's make it a car that people are going to want to continue buying. Yeah. And uh, I think Christopher Lloyd said, there's no way in hell Doc Brown is driving a Ford Mustang. And uh, he was the one who was like, it's going to be the DeLorean. And I, th I think that that's really cool. It, it's so tied, like the design of the DeLorean is so tied to the 1980s, mostly because of its like 
iconography within the Back to the Future franchise. The design and the stainless steel body, I think, are the only things that survived to production. Everything else was kind of like thrown out, cheaper and cheaper parts, lack of engineering and development of this car. It was so bad and ended up being more expensive than a fully kitted Corvette. That, that's a big difference from a, a fully souped Corvette to a, a car that functions about the same as like a Toyota, <laughs> like, like a Camry. Well, Josh, where are you leaning with the uh, ever so iconic DeLorean? When I was like 12, 13, and Back to the Future is my favorite movie, this was a dream car. After hearing all the production and like manufacturing issues, I don't think I'd ever like drive one of these. If I was like Tony Stark and I could just buy whatever I want, I I if I if I could find like a model from the movie or something, it would be sitting in my garage. It'd be a fun thing to own as like a car that I'd drive all the time. No, of course not. Yeah, it, it would be an art piece, a tax write-off. Would you uh would you is your is your end goal to be like Jay Leno and just have like a gigantic <laughs> like, garage full of really cool cars? N not me, maybe Alden. I would never just do that. I'd have to drive whatever I buy. Yeah, I don't drive, so. I wish it was cool. The one from the movie is cool-ish. I mean, 88 miles per hour isn't much, but like, in the 80s it was. Do you agree with Lemon, uh, Josh? Or do you want Elon Musk to please remake it? I think it's gotta at least go to Elon, please remake. <sighs> That's a big jump, the way we have got it set up, though. Uh, this is also, Alden hasn't mentioned it, he also doesn't like Back to the Future as a movie, so Alden has <laughs> no attachments to this car whatsoever, and we do. I have attachment, not because of the movie, but because I genuinely like the design of the car and what it was supposed to be. It definitely looks like the car of the future. It was a great choice for the movie. And it the design hasn't aged at all. It's still great. We're, it's going into Elon, please remake. Yeah. Uh, rumors say that dmc might have another car coming sometime in the future they might be back is my next car gonna be a delorean are you ever buying a car again i don't know we'll see <laughs> <laughs> talking about the ecto-1 here one of the most iconic cars in movie history we've got 1959 cadillac uh miller meteor ghostbusters the ecto-1 a Cadillac hearse tricked out to maximize ghost-busting potential. It is perhaps one of the most iconic cars in movie history. With a quantum escalator in the back, nothing is stopping this car from winning a race down the streets of New York or leveling the city of it getting in a fender bender. Yeah, no, this doesn't really seem like a viable car to be driving around, but it's a very cool design. I like that it's a hearse. Uh, Cadillacs are a very interesting... Uh, breed of car in my opinion because of how big and like box like they are like they're very bulky looking even non-hearse ones uh, But yeah, literally driving around with a nuclear reactor attached to the back of your car in New York's probably not a good idea Seeing as how uh, I've witnessed like five fender benders today on my walk home from work, which is only two miles What do you guys think about the Ecto-1? I think I think it's a really iconic design um, Yeah, I think it's sick uh, That's it. That's all I gotta say. Yeah would I would I own one? I wouldn't no. own one. No. It's it's old reliable. It, it, it Yeah, it's like a it's 30 a, year old car uh, during the time of this movie, right? Yeah, and it's literally a car that four guys use for their job. Yeah, it's definitely old reliable. It'd be kind of cool to have like a hearse and just drive <laughs> drive it around. I feel like there's a lot of good storage space in the back. You could fit a bunch of bunch of equipment or gear back there. It's definitely a good work vehicle, that's for sure. 
Yeah, I, I dig old reliable. Now, is it more or less reliable than the R8? I think just due to the fact that there's a nuclear bomb attached to the back, I'm going to say a little less reliable than the R8. Yeah. Um, it also definitely doesn't get anywhere near the gas mileage. No chance. Speaking of iconic cars, this just occurred to me. I should have thought of this earlier. No Batmobile? Like from Adam West? I think that that may be a discussion for another day. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of Batman content coming out whenever this the Batman drops. True. Let's go hang out with the Bluth family with the, uh, the stair car. From Arrested Development and Captain America Civil War, we found out. <laughs> yeah, <we did. laughs> After, like, everything went on to his family in the first season. And uh, it's iconic. You see it in the intro of the uh, of the Netflix, of the, when Netflix rebooted it. Not the greatest reboot in the world. So bad. It's the first thing you see, and it's like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm back. I'm back hanging out with the Bluth family and Arrested Development. Overall, it's still a, an iconic show. It's an iconic car. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting that they, when Netflix rebooted uh, Arrested Development, they uh, were like, yeah, we're going to do uh, like two seasons and a movie. Wrap it up. <laughs> Is Captain America Civil War the Arrested Development movie? I think so. Yes. <laughs> when you search Bluth Staircar, Bluth Staircar Civil War is the second option. It's blatant, too. This is just straight up like obvious that it's the Staircar. It's got the logos on it. This is crazy. It's definitely an Easter egg. Uh, well, is this is this all reliable? It seems to be. I don't think it was. Am I misremembering the show? I feel like they had problems with this car. I I feel like it was just because of how tall it was. <laughs> they like go through a drive-through or some shit and like take it off. Like I, I remember <laughs> the one part where the stairs gets completely detached and it's just a pickup truck. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Michael Bluth drives it for all of season two and three. It's his, like, it's his, like, new car after he has to get rid of a lot of other assets. Oh, that's right. He accidentally helps his dad escape prison with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is all reliable. Man, it might be less reliable than the Ecto-1, though, just due to the fact that it's so awkwardly bulky. Like, trying to find parking for that thing has got to be a nightmare. It's definitely not an easy drive. All right, Alden, it's your turn. Are we hearing about the Pontiac Aztec? Sure, we can talk about it. But what's your what's your take on the Pontiac Aztec? Uh, definitely one of the ugliest cars ever. However, as of yet, no other car from the factory you can get optioned with a built-in tent. That's pretty cool. I think the functionality of the Aztec definitely exceeds its looks. It's definitely a you utilitarian like vehicle but like it's a pontiac aztec one i was c totally caught off guard in doing research for this i thought this like car came out like when breaking bad came out like you know 2008 2009 like i had never seen it on the road or whatever like until breaking bad happened and it was like kind of everywhere for a little while like i saw one all the time yeah if you owned one before the show started releasing you would have made money on your purchase. That's so odd to me. It's such an ugly-ass car. It, like, looks like a slightly larger Nissan Cube. And as someone who had to, like, learn how to drive in a Nissan Cube, that that's not tempting. It's not, it's not a cool design. I think it's very ugly, but I do think it has a purpose. It's actually a probably solid SUV. Um, and I'm, I'm an SUV hater. I am too. I don't think it's actually safe in the slightest. 
but I mean built-in tent. I mean, if you live out in like New Mexico or whatever, it might it might be viable. I don't know why Jesse and Walt never cooked inside the built-in tent of the, <laughs> uh, of the family car. Yeah, it was definitely it was picked for the show because it was so bad like it had a terrible reputation yeah it sounds like a bad financial decision like pre broken walter would do yeah he was definitely buying it because of how much it could hold like what it's utilitarianism rather than the fact that he wants a car that's decent yeah that's true uh, he's, it was definitely the getting swindled type move of old walter i i don't think it's a lemon though Unfortunately, I I can't say it's a lemon, but Old Reliable might be pushing it too. What's your take, Josh? I know you haven't seen all of Breaking Bad, but what's your take on this this ugly ass car here at the bottom of our tier list? Gonna be honest, it's so ugly. I kind of love the design. Yeah, it's definitely unique. Yeah, like it sticks out. I wouldn't own it though. I think might have to lay off the motor oil, especially with it being in Breaking Bad of all shows. <laughs> if you bought one of these because you liked Breaking Bad, I feel like you played yourself. Like, that <laughs> is a lay off the motor oil decision right there. Definitely. Lay off the motor oil. I'd rather have a haunted, like, beautiful sports car from the 50s than I would this fucking eyesore. I agree. Let's go with the 1979 Ford LTD Country Squire from uh, National Lampoon's uh, Vacation. Of course. I feel like in the marketing and in the presentation, cars and sex appeal just truly go hand in hand. And no other vehicle on this list makes me want to start a family more than this vintage classic. The station wagon was one of the first vehicles designed with the whole family in mind. With much more room and seats than other cars on the market, and it's still low-profile ride, I really think we should boycott the SUV. And bring back the wood decor station wagon, like the Ford Country Squire found in National Lampoon's uh, vacation. I think it's charming. I, th I like the disgusting wood paneling on the side of a car. Some some station wagons, I'm not too sure if this uh, model uh, had rear-facing seats in the back, but how cool would that be as a kid to just be driving down the road backwards? You can uh, flick off the, the truck drivers behind you without your parents seeing. You can... Uh, crack jokes and sorry for the ford slander but out of all the wood paneled like wagons this one's kind of one of the worst uh their cars were not very fuel efficient and arguably still aren't so uh when <laughs> yeah. the, when the 1970 oil crisis happened i feel like you probably weren't going out to buy a new ford and if you were buying one for the family, I feel like you'd want a more aesthetically pleasing station wagon. <sighs> yeah. But imagine all the fun road trips you could have with your with your family. Take the kids and a dog and a dying old lady along with you. I mean, it sounds wonderful. Going to Wally World, kidnapping John Candy and riding all the rides by yourself. It sounds like the millennial dream, but for boomers. And as a Zoomer, I hate road trips. How? You had a Game Boy and an iPad and uh, movies in the car. We, we had it better than most. I could just do all that at home. Yeah, but then, like, you're not somewhere else. The real road trip is the family we made along the way. <laughs> I'm, not talk I'm not talking to my family. I'm playing Shrek on the Game Boy. Uh, personally, for me, this is, a, this is a dream car. Hot take. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. I, uh, I love this fucking car. I love Ford. I love everything they stand for. Well, I actually, I can't uh, say that. I like Ford. That. <laughs> Best friends with Hitler is kind of uh Yeah, yeah, I, I redacted my statement. <laughs> 
cool it with the anti-Semitic remarks. <laughs> Nate, Nate's built tough. Built for tough. He is built for tough. I think the eight headlights, <laughs> Dude. honestly, kind of cool. Driving at night's no problem when you have uh, eight fucking headlights. You're the brightest thing on the road, even though you have wood on the side of your car. I know Josh thinks it's a lemon. <laughs> Alden, where are you? Um. Do you think I need to lay off the motor oil? The, the 70s is when Ford had the Pinto, and that was a bomb on wheels, legitimately. So I don't know the quality of this car. I will let you sway me to wherever you want to put it. Elon Musk, make the station wagon happen again. Yes, actually, I agree. Wagons need to come back. Put it up there. Yes. All right, I'm, I'm content. I'm happy. That was my, like, hot take of the episode, and that's, <laughs> that's high enough. Now, do we want a station wagon, uh, a family vehicle... That's low, low to the ground, comfortable ride, that isn't a giant ugly-ass SUV, more than we want a remake of the DeLorean. For me, I would say yes. I definitely want more wagons than I do a new DeLorean. Hell yes. You got me with the wagon propaganda. Uh, hey, uh, Siri, play uh, Darius Rucker's uh, Wagon Wheel. <laughs> Herbie. Hell yeah. Fully loaded? Love bug. Specifically... Herbie fully loaded because that's that's my Herbie. That's what I grew up with. The critically acclaimed 2005 film, average of 2.3 out of 5 on Letterbox. That's higher than I thought it would be in all honesty. I mean Justin Long's in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Long might be the last great actor. <laughs> you know, I might agree. <laughs> write that down, write that down. <laughs> but yeah, what a cast. Lindsay Lohan, Justin Long, Michael Keaton, Matt Dillon. It's uh it was around the time for some reason you had Pixar's Cars, Herbie Fully Loaded, uh Talladega Nights, Nights, all these like NASCAR movies, like Herbie like this was this car, what was it, in the 60s and 70s, was, like, racing against other cars like him. And now Herbie's going up against full, like, NASCARs. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. I think the movie's got a lot of uh, mid-2000s charm to it. Herbie as a car. Um, I think Herbie's at least reliable. Um, uh. Alden, we're talking in the context of the film, not the actual car. <sighs> I don't think Herbie's lost a race. If we're, if we're no. talking like, if this was Mario Kart, this is a dream car. It's probably got inward Un drifting. Unstoppable. It's probably got the <laughs> fastest speed, the best handling. This is like Funky Kong on the Flame Rider in Mario Kart Wii <laughs> times 10. I was about to say, I think it's a dream car because I'm not talking about the car model itself, but Herbie, if I could like. If you could have Herbie, I agree. Another sentient car that doesn't talk. It does wink does wink. Yeah, I think it goes in. I think it's our first dream car. I, I can't disagree. Yeah. I mean, honestly, a Volkswagen Beetle's a dream car for me regardless, but if it was sentient, yes. cool, could be my best friend. Um, dude, I'd live in I'd live in Herbie, bro. I'd, I'd, I'd sleep in the back seat <laughs> if it actually it's a two door. Uh, never mind. I would not sleep in the trunk. No, I think I think the 60s Beetle had back seats. I think the new ones do. I think Beetles just have back seats. Hell yeah. Home. <laughs> hopping in Herbie and being like, Chewy, we're home. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, we're home. <laughs> what if we got a, a Herbie fully loaded too? Herbie reloaded. How much do I need to pay someone for this to happen? Michael Keaton needs to be in it. Uh, yes. I mean, it sounds like he's gonna do anything. Now. Like, he's just, 
Yeah, attach me to every franchise you can, please. Yeah, I'll do Morbius. Yeah, how much is that paycheck? Retirement money now. Michael Keaton doesn't even know how multiverses work. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Alden, what is your uh, third automobile? I guess it would be the Lotus. The James Bond Lotus. I think this was a hot take to take this as the uh, the James Bond representation. Bond's had a lot of great cars. He's most notably yeah. known for his Aston Martin. Um, yeah. But I think that this one spoke to you a little bit more, Alden. I don't know. If I had a choice between this Lotus or the DB5, I'd definitely be picking the Aston Martin. So what movies is this one in? I feel like pre-Skyfall, there was an era where James Bond just didn't have a car. <laughs> James Bond walked. <laughs> J- James Bond was a commuter. He took public transit and city bike. He was in London. Every British person I've met doesn't. Her drive. Majesty's Secret Service. Anyway, tell us about the uh, tell us about the uh, S1. It has surface-to-air missiles. I don't think another car on this list has surface-to-air missiles. Absolutely not. I don't think another car on this list can also be a submarine if you want it to be dude that's such a cool moment in that movie that like i i don't think that uh uh the spy who loved me is one of the better james bond movies but when you see him driving into the beach and you don't like it's not told to you that this car can also be a submarine so you're like what the fuck is james bond doing and then it just turns into a submarine it's the coolest thing ever yeah i think this honestly helped uh the like like the non-communists win the cold war <laughs> the fact that like russians actually thought because of this movie that um like the british people had like submarine cars i think it, i think it threw everything off huh okay well i don't know i really like lotus as a company i like the philosophy of ad lightness this car weighed 2200 pounds wow that's not even that heavy at all no, that's lighter than, like, minis. That's super light. That doesn't sound like it's going to be uh, the best in a car accident. It's probably going to crush up, like, one of those smart cars. I mean, probably, but I, it is a car from the 70s, so definitely. I guess sometime between Elon Musk selling PayPal and taking over Tesla, he bought the car from the movie. As long as I can move the wheel to the left side, I'm definitely getting it. Uh, I feel like this isn't my dream car, but it is a dream car. I mean, the fact that it has the missiles that you were talking about. (laughs) Surface-to-air missiles, as mines, torpedoes, a cement sprayer. This might be the only thing that could take Herbie in a a race if we're playing Mario Kart rules. This thing's got built-in blue shells. Herbie would dodge them. I think Herbie (laughs) would dodge them. That's the crazy part, too. I think that this is a dream car. I mean... Yeah, I feel like any James Bond car is a dream car. My fourth vehicle is a classic. The 1969 Dodge Charger from Dukes of Hazard. Whether you think that General Lee is an appropriate name for a car or not, you have to admit nothing says Southern Pride quite like the Dukes of Hazard. This iconic orange Dodge Charger can be seen flying over the railroad tracks a little too often. Built for speed and driven like a madman, this is perhaps what bootle- what a bootlegging automobile would look like if Prohibition never got reversed. I think that Dukes of Hazard is the definition of, like, boomer food. Never resonated with me. Me neither. Big ol' butt here. 
I like the car a lot. I really, really, really like uh, the Dodge Charger. I think it's a, I think it's a great design. I, at least all the ones before 1970. I think the 69 is probably the coolest. It's, it's a sick build. For the time, they were one of the fastest cars on the road that you could buy. Uh, I don't think they probably have the best uh, safety report, um, but obviously those good old Duke boys, they don't know the difference. What's your guys' take on uh, on uh, Robert E. Lee? Not the, not the person, the car. Honestly, the amount of cars they went through for this show is hilarious. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> the 2005 movie, too, they went through a fuck ton for that movie as well. That movie's not good. No, it's really <laughs> bad. <laughs> the car itself is, like, pretty sick. The name, the roof, maybe less sick, but the orange, pretty sick. Yeah, you don't see a lot of orange cars. No, uh, shout out to Steven, who drives an orange car. That explains a lot. I could I could see this being our first lemon, if we're being honest. I mean, the fact that they went through so many of them filming the show uh, just goes to show that it probably wasn't the most reliable. Not a whole lot of cars can survive the jumps that they did. Oh, true. <laughs> I love the fucking car going over the railroad every episode and freeze-framing. It's like, no matter yeah. what's going on in the episode, you know it's ending with a freeze-frame with a car mid-air, and that's... Honestly, if I if I were growing up and that was a show on TV, I probably would have stuck around. I'm not going to lie. Seeing how they get into this predicament every episode. I, I I really appreciate the fact that they just, like, their car always survives the jumps and then whoever's chasing them does not. I definitely made a car that looked exactly like this in GTA 4 and tried to take it for stunt jumps in uh, in New York City and it didn't go well. The, the handling in that game is abysmal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like actually driving in New York. It's very funny. <laughs> whenever, whenever somebody, like, shoots up that game, like, do you just instantly run into the wall the first time you have to get into that car? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even make it to the bowling alley. I was like, dude, this, is, this isn't it. This isn't fun anymore. I, I really don't know what to do for this one. I mean, I get, I get the Southern Pride element, but naming it after General Robert E. Lee is a bit of a bruh moment. So I could see Lay Off the Motor Oil. I think it could be the first lemon, if I'm being honest. As much as I like the car, I just don't think um, too many other people would. Uh, if, I mean, I know the Dodge Charger is an extremely popular make, but... No, this this model of car is super popular, and like, if it's restored and actually is in good condition, it can sell for a good amount of money. I don't think the car itself is necessarily a lemon, but like, the roof, the name, the fact that they had to replace a car practically every episode... The big old number one on the side. Yeah, I see new Dodge Chargers, I guess, wrapped to have the same, like, number and whatever on them. They don't always have the flag, but, like, it, it never looks I good. I think it's about a 50-50 shot of them having the flag on the roof. Yeah, yeah. Lemon's fine. We can put it in lemon. Do you agree, Josh? Yeah, that's fine. The first lemon of the list. Uh, up to you, Josh, with your fourth uh, automobile. Oh, uh, let's do the Hulk car in Tokyo Drift. Hell yes, I've been waiting for this one. I'm really glad we chose this and not Vin Diesel's car, because it really could have gone... <laughs> you really could have went that way, because I feel like that's probably the most iconic of Fast and Furious like franchise that fans would know. But this one is like, 
You don't forget it. I was doing, like, research to, like, find this photo in the amount of, like polarizing opinions just from google searching uh hulk car tokyo drift is insane there's people that are like it's the worst car in the entire franchise it's so ugly it's like it's a freaking volkswagen for crying out loud there's no way you're street racing with this and then there's like it's the coolest car ever i want one i, I i'm getting a custom wrap for my my uh volkswagen uh whatever it's called uh the uh, uh toron i believe yeah it was some interesting product placement for Marvel to do that. Like, of course, this is, like, pre-MCU and that. Yeah, I think Ang Lee's Hulk had just come out, though. <sighs> Remember when Hulk was, like, good? Like, not Ang Lee's Hulk, but, like, culturally, like... A cool, like, a cool character. It was like, oh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but with a giant ripped dude that's green and wears purple shorts? I'm in. <laughs> It's weird how, like, the rise of the MCU has kind of devalued the Hulk to me, like, uh, pop culture-wise. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you, but I feel like the MCU has definitely brought attention for newer generations to the character. But I feel like nobody's favorite Avenger is Hulk. I definitely know people who it is, including not you, but maybe you. It is me. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a few people I know that are, but they are dude bro type people. I feel like there are more people who ironically like uh, Hawkeye more than like genuinely like Hulk as their favorite Avenger. But you're right, Nate. I'm excited for She-Hulk. She-Hulk uh, could be a turning point. I'm looking at pictures of this car and I'm pretty sure I had the Hot Wheels for it. Yeah, I think I did too. Dave, Dave, that David Banner Hulk series is my Batman 1960 whatever. Now, Josh, did this uh, did this cool green car inspire you to get one uh, as well? Not in this movie, per se. Uh, I think I mentioned it when we were ranking the Fast and Furious movies, but Paul Walker's green car in the original is what inspired me to always want a green car. But no, I think this car, it's ironically a masterpiece. It's shaped like a minivan. You know, Elon, please remake this. <laughs> Is he going to get, like, the anime Hulk on the front, too? Yes, like, I want Elon to, like, get get the rights to the Incredible Hulk just as, like, the car brand and, like, remake the whole thing, make it this awesome electric car. We can have it come... Whenever. Like a limited-run Hulk car? We could, do, we could do a She-Hulk car. I feel like, though, he would release it as, like, an NFT. Like, there'd be, like, three of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, it would, like, be worth, like, millions. All right, Alden. What's up next? The 1977 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am from Smokey and the Bandit. Second highest grossing movie in 1977. Also, the car wasn't out, like, the this version of it. The updated version of the, the Firebird Trans Am was not out when the movie was being filmed. So they had to get Pontiac to, like, take a 1976 model and just strap on the bits to make it look like a new one. Yeah, it was a smart marketing campaign, too. This car, I mean, it was the second highest grossing movie of the year. Like, people were like, I need the bandit. I need to get me one of them bandits. Yeah, it definitely did a better job at selling cars than Transformers did for Chevy. The, go the whole goal of the bandit is to distract all the cops along the way, so that way the big old smoky uh, rig the the 18-wheeler can uh, get to its destination on time fantastic movie the sequels not so much <laughs> the the firebird trans am the trans am is like pretty cool i kind of wish we got more cars like it now like i, I get the extendedly like long hood is kind of like 
definitely a thing of the past, but well, it was a, it was a sports car. I feel like all the cars nowadays look the same, and like you would see definitely. this thing driving down the road, and you'd be like, damn. Like, it would just catch your eye, you know? Even if, you know, there's 12 other Dodge Chargers on the freeway, but there's probably only one of these Firebirds. Yeah. It's not really a dream car for me, and uh, they already sort of remade a Firebird. I could see it in all reliable. Yeah, I, I could I think too. it's definitely the second most reliable car in that in that category. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have a nuclear bomb strapped to the back of it or a really inconvenient staircase, so that's uh, that's a plus. <laughs> Uh, back to me, we are talking about the 1961 Ferrari 250 GT from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, I thought this was like the coolest car of all time when I was a kid and first watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And you know what? Who am I kidding? I still do. If I were Cameron's dad, I would have snapped my son's neck and sent him out the window with the car, staging a murder and claiming the insurance to get a replacement. This car's uh, value has skyrocketed since the release of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and it's no wonder why. It was vintage when the movie came out, and it's only continued to age with the popularity of John Hughes' cult classic. Uh, as I mean, it's it's the main centerpiece of the movie. The, the main conflict in the third act is about this car getting destroyed, and they uh, go, have a, go have a field trip with their... With Cameron's dad's uh, beautiful sports car that he barely takes out of the garage. I think it's uh, it's interesting commentary on 80s materialism and vanity, but it's also a really cool coming-of-age element, uh, Cameron having to face his dad. And I love that it's done off-screen, too. You never actually see his dad in the movie, and I, I think that actually adds a lot to it. Cameron has to like face his fears of uh, being a disappointment to his father in more ways than you can imagine, and uh, I guess he doesn't die. I am surprised. It's not really a submarine, but... Yeah, true. Yeah, this car is awesome. They also take this over the uh, railroad tracks, a la Dukes of Hazard, uh, in the scene where the uh, two guys who work at the parking garage steal the keys and uh, take it out for a joyride. And I think they have uh, the Imperial March from uh, Empire Strikes Back playing over <laughs> it. <laughs> I hope to see Nate one day pull up in this car with a Detroit Red Wings jersey on. Oh. Dude, I so really clutch. hope I do see Nate show up one day in this car that costs seventeen million dollars. That's even more than I thought it was worth. Holy cow! Wow. Yeah, getting an actual like two hundred and fifty GT Spider is insane. I'm sure the movie didn't help. Like these cars are pretty rare. Seventeen million, huh? And I thought getting a uh, Steve Eiserman signed Red Wings jersey to wear around would be the expensive part. <laughs> I think this has to be in dream car. I think anything lower is a, is a joke. I agree. I think having a submarine car and Herbie is still better, though. Uh, I think I'd take both over Herbie, but then again, Herbie. I don't know, Josh. Do you want the Ferrari or the uh, the uh, <laughs> underwater subterranean uh, uh, Lotus uh, Esprit S1? I feel like I can afford James Bond's car more than uh, <laughs> Ferris Bueller's. Let's go with the Dodge uh, Monaco. This car is great. In the movie Blues Brothers, <laughs> they had to get rid of their old car. In one of the craziest set pieces I've ever seen when they go through the mall and that chase, I still don't know how they did it. Um, The fact that that was made in what year? Uh, 1957? Or the movie. The movie was made in 1982, I believe. That whole set piece, that, that car's just iconic. Um, 
it I love how they just have like one conversation about it in the beginning and he just moves on from it. Nicholas Foreman was right and I was wrong. Yeah, no, I I love Blues Brothers. I think it's got one of the I think at the time when it came out, and it still might be held today, has the largest car pile up in any movie to date. Which is weird because when you think of Blues Brothers, I think of the comedy and I think of the music, but in terms of the action sequencing, it's it's huge. I think it I think it surpassed uh, the French Connection for the largest chase scene in a movie, uh, in terms of sheer number of cars. I think it's a uh, I think it's a masterpiece. However, this car itself, I don't know, man. It's a rundown it's a rundown <laughs> cop car with a, a gas leak issue and uh, <laughs> I, a giant like speaker rigged to the top of it. I, I don't know, man. We're kind of in lemon territory with the actual car. I guess I guess it's impressive, though, they're able to outrun all the police and neo-Nazis, though. I think it might be the definition of lay off the motor oil. Did this car lead to the movie Let's Be Cops? Um, probably. I, I hope. If so, I mean, lay off the motor oil. I hope it wasn't do the right thing that led to the movie Let's Be Cops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the 2003 Mini Cooper from the Italian Job remake. Mini kind of didn't change a whole lot in their cars for the longest time, and then when BMW bought them, at some point they finally remodeled the car, and the remodel boosted sales by a lot. Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, the original version of the movie also had Mini Coopers, but they were like the, the 74 model, I believe, or 72 model or something. And while I think that those are probably a fine car, I fucking love the design of the 2003 Mini Cooper. I think it is honestly one of my all-time favorite car designs. Uh, it was my dream car for a very, very long time. Might still be in my top three or four, uh, vehicles I wish I owned. I, uh, I really like it. Uh, I have a little bit of a soft spot for the remake of uh, The Italian Job. There, uh, back before Paramount shit their pants, uh, Kings Island uh, used to be a Paramount-licensed park. So their minecart ride was based off of Temple of Doom. They had a Tomb Raider ride. Uh, they had a Top Gun ride. Like They had really, really good branding at my local theme park growing up. Yes. So, Nate, King's Dominion... Uh, still has an Italian job coaster. Yes, but they changed the name of it and lost the branding. Did they? I was there, like, a few years ago, and it was still the Italian job. How recent was this? Um, well, they w Cedar Fair bought out King's Dominion and, and King's Island, uh, in 2013, and that's when they were forced to change all of the names. I, I definitely was there after that. I heard King's Dominion was slower with the transition due to park management, not wanting to literally change the sign. Um, but on the park map, uh, even before they changed the signage at King's Island, uh, the, the job was renamed to the Backlot Stunt Coaster. The seats of the roller coaster are Mini Coopers. Uh, there's red, yellow, blue, and white ones, just like in the movie. And uh, it's one of the funnest rides in the park. It's not a huge coaster, but it's one that has really, really strong theming and actually goes incredibly fast for how low to the ground it is. I think it goes a uh, top speed of 70 miles per hour, which is kind of insane for a ride that small. I think the track is a little under a quarter mile long, so it's a quick ride, but there's some parts where it stops. You get like an Expedition Everest kind of vibe from it. There's pyrotechnics, there's some explosions, um, and it's not like a, it's not like a universal 
uh, Orlando ride where it's uh, a movie screen in front of you and shit happening. No, you can actually feel the fire that's 20 feet away from you. There's a helicopter with some machine gun sound effects. The first time I rode this ride, it changed my life forever and I became a roller coaster enthusiast. Uh, because <laughs> it was such a low to the ground ride, for whatever reason, the height requirement for it was only 42 inches. So once I hit my growth spurt in fourth grade and was finally over 42 inches tall, I got to ride this for the first time and haven't looked back since. Uh, Formula One legend, Nicky Lauda, his first car was a Mini Cooper. Um, he has said that uh, the best first car for like a teenager to have is a Mini. And I am proud to say that my first car was a Mini. Yeah, I'm jealous. Hopefully that'll be, hopefully that'll be like my, my uh, in my 30s car. My neighbor got the new electric one, and I assume she loves it. Yeah, I feel like uh, an electric Mini Cooper has potential. I'm going to wait for, like, the fifth edition of it, though. That is very smart. Josh, what's your take on the Mini? Cool car. Is your only experience riding an Alden's old Mini? Yes. Sorry to hear that. You, you've also ridden the Backlot Stunt Coaster, then. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say that I didn't feel sick sometimes in Alden's car. Well, you did sit in the back more often than most i'm very sensitive to like car sickness too so it wasn't a good combination for me but uh whenever i was in the front i think uh it was fine um personally for me this is a this is a dream car the souped up uh, italian job mini cooper would be like the coolest card ever to own at some point uh being able to go as fast as i want to in a little mini would be uh would be epic. Not that I'd pull off any bank heists or anything like that, but... There's an auction website called Bring a Trailer, and there was a tuned, souped-up, like, 500-horsepower Mini Cooper selling on there. And it was, like, this model of Mini as well. <laughs> it was, like, a 2006, so it was, it was the same one. I don't want to see Elon remake this, so I could see it at the top of Old Reliable if this is not a dream car for the others. So here's the thing about Mini. Um... Until recently, and after the BMW buyout, it ain't reliable. It is a lemon, and I say this from experience. In the first, like, yeah, in the first year of me owning the car, like, maintenance costs, and this wasn't high mileage. I bought it at 56,000 miles. Maintenance was almost the value of the car within the first year. What happened, Mini? Rip. Rip one of my dream cars. Yeah. But, man, this is lower than the Walter White eyesore with the tent? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Mini doesn't come with a tent from the factory. All right, we're moving on to my last car here. The 1983 GMC Vandura. All I'm saying is, if me and the boys pull up to a function in the A-Team van, you know it's going to be an epic night. Even if it's just a 2 a.m. sheets run, being the guy who always drives around in a souped-up mercenary van sounds like a dream position for a guy like me. I mean, just imagine all the shenanigans you could get into. You would, you'd be the ultimate designated driver, just taking friends from point A to point B, having the time of your life. It'd be like having a party bus and a military vehicle at the same time. It doesn't get any better than that. Imagine me pulling up to Trevor's bachelor party, picking up all the boys, and driving to Atlantic City in the A-Team van. I want to make this happen. <laughs> Side note, I muted my mic and went to pet my dog, and lightning struck, like, right outside my window. Is your dog okay? I touched him as soon as the lightning struck, and he just jumped and stared at me. <laughs> he, he thinks you're Thor now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. 
I really liked when Mr. T teamed up with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 1. God, what was the show? The Goldbergs. I think there was an episode about this van. I could be remembering something else, but... I know there was definitely one about the DeLorean, because the guy who carries the uh, the Fantastic Beasts franchise on his back uh, he plays his uncle, and he buys a DeLorean and makes the worst investment of his life and has to move in with them. Yep. That was funny. It's definitely reliable. I'm definitely living in this thing. Yes. Uh, that would be, like, a, a sick decision. Yeah, I'm down with the sickness. I think it's at least unreliable. Yeah. I think all reliable works for pretty much any van. Now, if you are the designated driver of the A-Team van, do you have to blare the A-Team theme the entire time you're driving? Because I, I think, especially as you're pulling up somewhere, you'd have to, right? I think it would definitely be like a quick and easy like button to press to get it blaring as soon as I pull into somewhere. <laughs> like, you get a custom horn that's just the song. <laughs> I, uh, I'd rather drive this around than the Bluth stairs, but everything else in there has a slightly higher, like, level of swagger, even the, uh, Ecto-Bomb, I mean, Ecto, Ecto-1. I would drive around a hearse before I drive around the A-Team van. And I could live in the back of both of these two, so they're, they're the same level of reliable. We got the 1955 Chevy 210 from American Graffiti. I mean, when you think of this era, cars... The first thing everybody says is American Graffiti. Like, they call it, like, the American Graffiti era or something. Like, it's always, when you talk about, like, this era, that's literally what everybody says. And this car is, like, a big definition of that. Um, this is the one that Harrison Ford drives in the movie, too. What, a, what I guess, start for the career of Harrison Ford also. Um, I, I, I love the design. Uh, that. Any car from this era, I just, I think is awesome. American Graffiti, just as a movie, I think is awesome. Uh, I think it's a dream car. Yeah, I, I think it was probably one of the first Chevys to really have, like, mass appeal. Like, like for, for car enthusiast guys. I mean, like, I think I think 50s cars were really when people were collecting them for the sake of, like, they're the coolest cars. Whereas, like, there's still people who bring, like, for, like, a car show or whatever, will bring out, like, one of those weird old, like, 30s, like, wagon-type cars or whatever. Or those, like, soft-mounted, like, Jeep wannabes. I want to buy an old one, take it to the, uh, whoever the custom-made guy that's always on Pawn Stars, and have him, <laughs> have him redo it. He got his own spin-off show at one point, too. Yeah, he did. Nice. It was, like, Night, it was, what was the name? It was, like, Knight's Customs or something like that. Apparently, only one of the three cars used for the movie avoided the crusher. I could see it, though. That movie doesn't have a really high budget, and feel like they probably didn't buy, like, the nicest ones. They probably had a picture car for all, like, the, the slow-moving shots, and then, like, two, like, yeah, we can rough them up a little bit, like, drive fast in them. Speaking of cars from that era, we could have had the car from Greece. I thought it looked a little too familiar. Like, it looks a lot like the, uh, Chris uh, the Christine car. Yeah, it, it's kind of like a mix of the two. To me, this is a dream car, just because I I just really like cars from this era. Yeah. This kind of just reminds me of the Munsters. This looks a little too much like the Dragula. Like, I don't know. I, I think I'd rather have something a little bit more vibrant if I'm going with such a cosmetically unique and fashionable car. I, uh, I think it's cool when they do the street racing in the movie. Uh, I think it's definitely the best looking car in the, in the film. Um... 
I don't want Elon Musk to remake it, so maybe it is a dream car. Yeah. The $17 million Ferrari. Hey, Alden, what's the going price for uh, this bad boy? Uh, like the one in the movie or just in general? Like in, in decent drivable condition where you could take it to a guy to fix it up and make it look all pretty. <laughs> Alden's just chilling on Kelly's Blue Book. He's, he's got it like bookmarked. I think this car might be too old for Blue Book. 40s to there's one in the 80s. 80 grand? Uh-huh. Holy shit. I should have bought one of these instead of going to college. Those are pristine condition, not even driven once cars. This is going over the Ferrari just for the price point alone. This is a car that we can eventually own someday. The duel of the takes car. <laughs> the duel of the takes pickup Nate from New York automobile. Final car, honestly, very similar to the Pizza Planet truck. Uh, this is from Wayne's World. Alden, take it away. <laughs> the 76 AMC Pacer is basically a fishbowl. Uh, I have always kind of looked at these and I really want one, but it's so... It, proportions are just off all around. I, it's great. It's very much a 70s car, like, in its design. Like, it it looks like it's trying to do something new and different, but at the same time has a lot of the same, like, mechanical issues of, like, the cars that were popular, like, half a decade before. It's kind of like the, um, like the British three-wheeled blue car of the of America. Oh, the, uh, Reliant Rodman. It's, uh, it's definitely an awkward look, but uh, I saw one actually a couple days ago in Queens. It was just parked on the side of the road, and I was definitely like looking it up and down. I was like, is this the car from Wayne's World? And then when I put together the <laughs> list uh, for this episode, I was like, wow, yeah, no, that was definitely it. I don't know how popular they were, but I, I guess they made enough that you see them every now and then. I mean, I'd bang my head to Bohemian Rhapsody in this car. I agree. At the bottom of our list, the lemons, we've got... Uh, Robert E. Lee, General Lee from <laughs> from Dukes of Hazard. We've got Wayne's car from uh, uh, Wayne's World. We've got the Mini Cooper from the Italian Job, the 2003 specifically. In the layoff, the motor oil tier at the very bottom, we've got Walter White's uh, uh, what was it called? The Aztec, the Pontiac Aztec. Pontiac. We have multiple Pontiacs on this list, and somehow Pontiac went from something sick like the Firebird. To the Aztec. And uh, also there in Layoff the Motor Oil, we've got the Bluesmobile and uh, Christine. In Old Reliable, we've got <laughs> the Bluth Staircase car. <laughs> we've got the A-Team van. We've got the Ecto-1. And there's that, that, there's that Firebird, the beautiful Pontiac machine right there. And then, of course, Tony Stark's R8 to round out the top of the list. In the Elon Please Remake tier, we've got the Hulk car, the DeLorean, and the uh, the National Lampoon Family Station Wagon. Up in the top of Dream Car, we've got uh, Cameron's dad's car from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Harrison Ford's car from American Graffiti. Uh, we've got the coolest James Bond car, in my opinion, or the second coolest in public opinion. Uh, in the, uh, the, uh, what the, from the Spy Who Loved Me, the Lotus Esprit S1, and then the very top of the list, the ultimate dream car, we've got the Love Bug itself, number 53, Herbie. I think we made the right choice. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that includes our tier list. We do have some more questions from a fan of the show who wrote us in and was like, why don't you guys have a comment section on your podcast? And I was like, you know what? That's a great question. Why don't we feature some questions and comments from the fans? So 
If you want, click the link in the Discord below. We're going to create a new questions for the boys uh, a text channel or something along those lines. So if you have a question you want us to read on the show, I guess you can do that if you want. Um, today's first question, these are coming from Emma Wolford, by the way. Shoutouts, thank you for the, uh, the questions. What are some uh, characters that were horribly cast and who would you put in their place and why? Okay, well, I gotta think of a replacement, but I've got someone from a movie that hasn't even come out yet. So, which Jared Leto role are you choosing, Nate? I was gonna choose Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I was choosing Tron. I was I was choosing Blade Runner twenty forty nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, I'll choose. Uh, I'm gonna go with the hot take and choose one of his better movies and better roles. I'm gonna choose Requiem for a Dream. Okay. He, he works very well in that part, but I think everyone else in that ensemble is kind of playing against type. I think Ellen Burstein is playing very, very against her type. Uh, she was kind of like a, an every woman, uh, a heartthrob of sorts in the 70s. Uh, career slowed down a bit in the 80s and got this great, great opportunity to play this role in the, the turn of the millennium. And uh, I think it's a very like honest and real performance, despite kind of the uh, theatrics of the film. Uh, in her sequences, especially having these like TV hallucinogenic kind of experiences, along with uh, her rapid like weight loss and transformation within the context of the movie, you see this sweet-looking uh, Aunt May, original Spider-Man-looking woman turn into a uh, drug addict, an opioid addict, and it's it's really sad because it parallels the same struggle that her son's going through. And I feel like Jared Leto just looks like a guy who lives in Jersey City who shoots up heroin, which I think kind of takes away from the movie <laughs> because you've got uh, Marlon Wayans giving the best dramatic performance of his career so far in this movie. And, uh, I mean, he's always playing the comedic relief dude, and he really sells his character as well. Sorry, I was just going to ask, wasn't he almost Robin in Tim Burton's Batman? Or no, Batman Returns, when uh, Tim Burton was going to introduce Robin, but felt it was going to be too convoluted for that. Yeah, it was going to be Marlon Wayans. Honestly, that would have been... I think that could have worked. I think uh, even if they just pushed that into Batman Forever, I mean, I like Chris O'Donnell's take on Robin for what it is. I don't think they wrote that character the way he needed to be written. But throwing Marlon Wayans in that role, I, I think the movie would be on the same level if not a little bit better just for the sake of it being a different take on a beloved character uh and in the role of uh jared leto's character in requiem for a dream i would have actually placed a toby Maguire there i think uh kind of a, a young uh geeky type i mean uh, pleasantville was the year after i believe he, it was a few years before spider-man still I think he's a guy who's had a lot of range and has shown over time that he's able to do a lot of different types, but unfortunately due to the fact that after Spider-Man he kind of got cast as being this geeky dork dude, I think it would have been really cool to see him uh, commit to such a, a like a dangerous type role. He doesn't look like the kind of guy that would get involved in, in, in the drug scene, especially later in the movie when they start to get into the trading and the, the empire of it all. Uh, I think it would be a lot cooler to see like a more of an everyman and less of like an emo punk lead singer of a rock band in that role. I kind of hot take, I guess this will piss people off, but um, I think Pikachu and Detective Pikachu. Oh yeah, fuck Ryan Reynolds. Like if they were going to have a comedian voice actor... There's so many people to choose from. Danny DeVito. Wasn't he casted, and then he was like, what's a Pokemon? 
No, I think there was like a Nintendo like trailer or something like that, like about the game where Danny DeVito voiced Detective Pikachu. And so when they announced the movie, everyone was like, oh, thank God, Danny DeVito is going to be in a, like a blockbuster again. Like, this is going to be really fun. And then they're like, psych, it's Deadpool. I guess Will Arnett would have been an interesting one as well. <sighs> John DiMaggio would have been funny. I don't know. I feel like they could have just casted a better... And I'm not saying, like, uh, Ryan Reynolds necessarily did a bad job. It's just he kind of stuck out. I feel like there there are people who can fill the place of Pikachu as, like, a, a comedic voice a little better than that. Not that he doesn't have comedic chops, but I just think someone who, who's a little quicker on their feet with, like, the sense of humor. Maybe someone who does, like, a little bit of, like, that improv style of comedy, too, could, could escalate the situation. Uh, Josh, who are you replacing Jared Leto with in Blade Runner 2049? I don't think there's a wrong answer here. <laughs> can, can I say a name that won't make any sense? Sure. Jim Carrey. No. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess that was wrong. There is a, there is a wrong answer. <laughs> so, if Blade Runner 2049 was made, like, in the 90s. When it should have been? Val Kilmer would have been awesome in that role. Wow, that would be very different for his type, but I wouldn't hate to see it. I don't know if it would be totally against his type. I I don't know. There's Tombstone. Like, he's played, like, a kind of rugged character before. Uh, I'm trying to think of modern actors who I'd replace Jared Leto with in that role. It's such a small role, too. Like, I don't, like, I assume if they were going to make a sequel, that character would have had a bigger role. But I think you're right. There's not really a wrong answer just because we haven't seen much of the character. But what we saw with Jared Leto, I just didn't care. It was jarring. It was not, like, uh, in addition to the movie. It definitely took away. Uh, maybe, like, a Robert Pattinson? That would be cool. I, I think I'd go with that, actually. That's a good pick. Solid, solid. So uh, we've, had our, we've had our Jared Leto slander, and I've been here <laughs> for it. I love it. Love to hear it. Our next question is... What is a movie that you're surprised you don't like? Uh, what is a movie that you can't believe you don't like? When, when you tell people you don't like this, they get very upset. I think, I think for at least two of us, Coco is <laughs> an iconic take from us all. I definitely think Interstellar, whoa, Inception is a big one for me. Yeah, I think so too. Speaking of Nolan, I kind of came out as a memento hater uh, in our Nolan episode. Since then, I've rewatched it, and I really like it now, and it's probably in my top five Nolan movies now. Good. Yeah, good. I don't think I've said that uh, on the podcast yet since that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, one movie, or I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. Uh, people who know me know I love, like, genre, and they know I love anthologies. And uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about that next week on the show. Everything about Black Mirror is something that I should love. The fact that it's got a great cast, I mean, there's, there's bit characters, there's A-listers, there's these long intertwined, like, like mini movies, just like The Twilight Zone, which is one of my all-time favorite TV shows, but I could never really get into it. I, I thought the the concept of a lot of the the anthology episodes being based on like technology was like a good take, and you know you know me in certain ways. I'm a bit of a a nut when it comes to uh, technology and, and paranoia about where our future's going. So it's even more believable that I should buy into this show. But for some reason, 
I just feel like uh, I feel like it never really scratched that itch for me. I felt like Black Mirror was always just this like B tier Netflix show. So speaking of series, I actually got one now. Jory tried uh, getting me to watch uh, Westworld, and I think we watched the first two episodes, and I I just couldn't get into it. Uh, I know, like, first two episodes isn't a lot for, like, a TV show, but for an... I mean, it's I think they're, like, an hour long each. It's an HBO series. I think that first episode is, like, an hour 25, like, hour 30 minutes. When it, if you're not, like, getting my attention by then, it's gonna be... It's gonna be tough for me to go back to it, and I just... I don't know. Maybe one day I'll retry, but I just... I did not see the appeal. It was just too... It was too slow for me. I understood, like, the concept, but never... I didn't really find it all that, like, intriguing. Because they kind of tell you what the concept is, like, right out of the gate. There's no, like... I'm sure there's mystery with, like, the characters, but when it comes to the actual world, they kind of... I don't know. It felt explained to me in those first two episodes where I was like, it's fine. I, uh, I liked the first season of Westworld for what it was, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall that, like, that shows like scope was only going to go down as its writing increased and i was like this just isn't really for me i like james marsden in it though all right well this has been uh duel of the takes 